Morning, everybody. My name is Tim O'Connor, and uh, uh, it's my privilege to, to moderate the first session uh, of, of our incredible gathering. And the first thing to say is it is fantastic to be here for this great gathering of the, of the Global Irish at home and abroad. And on all your behalfs, as the, as the first kind of non-member uh, of the team speaker, I'd just like, to, on all your behalf, to extend our thanks to, to our hosts, and in particular, Minister Jimmy Deanham, who, since his appointment last year, has been a fantastic champion of diaspora long before his appointment, but certainly in that. And he has proved the importance and the value of the role. And I think we should give a, a big round of applause to Minister Deanham. For his And um, I'd also like to uh, thank our, the, the other minister, minister for Foreign Affairs, Charlie Flanagan, who will be with us tomorrow, I think, and then all the colleagues involved. I, I had previously worked in the Department of Foreign Affairs, so I'm doing a bit of family stuff now. Uh, the Secretary General in Foreign Affairs, Niall Burgess, and his fantastic team at the Irish Abroad Unit, Emer and uh, Mary and Claire and, and all the team there. And in the Taoiseach's Department, uh, Martin Fraser is here, the Secretary General, and his terrific team, Brenda Boylan and Christine. So this is a whole team effort uh, on your side, aided by the, our colleagues at the Clinton Institute, uh, and thank Liam and Catherine for, for their work. But in particular, I want to welcome every single one of you as well, all of you particularly who have travelled uh, such a long way to, to be here. And uh, we're on a, a fantastic journey together, as the Minister said, and uh, I'm going to come to our panel now in a moment. But just very briefly before I introduce our panel, I, I just want to say myself that... Um, that this journey of, of, of our engagement with, with our global family is, is something profound, I think, for all of us that's really only starting to move to a new level in the last 10 or 15 years. And um, last week we had the sad passing of, a, of an amazing man called Father Liam Ryan, who was the Professor of Sociology in Maynooth and uh, from Capamore, a fellow Limerick man of mine. And he once said, emigration is a mirror in which the Irish nation can always see its true face. Emigration is a mirror in which the Irish nation can always see its true face. That's a bit of a deep one now for early on a Wednesday morning, but I think from what I can figure out, it, it essentially, in simplistic terms, means that um, those of us who live in Ireland and those who live around the world are essentially two sides of the same coin, and we can only define ourselves by reference to the other. And that's pretty profound. But at the same time, the reality is that that relationship has not been at the forefront, you know, in, in the history of this estate, really until only really in the last 10 or, 10 or 15 years. So there's something fairly deep going on now, and I think in the journey that we are making towards each other now. But we have to be honest with each other. It's a complex relationship in many ways. Take a look at the, if you want to see the, the real x-ray of anything, take a look at what the artists say about it. Take a look at the plays of Tom Murphy or take a look at any of the rights. And, and there's nothing simple about that, that relationship. It's a complex one. We have to be honest with each other. But it's also profoundly deep, profoundly rich. And what I love right now is there's a, there's a conversation underway that's real and that's serious. Um, and I had the privilege a couple of years ago to chair the gathering, which was an extraordinary kind of um, experience of the entire country. And I think one of the pieces that a, a, an occasion like these couple of days allows us to do is, uh, in fact, actually to really reflect on what exactly is this relationship um, and what are our roles and responsibilities. Like any relationship, it has roles and responsibilities. And we have, so what is our role here in Ireland towards you who live overseas? And how do you, um, how do you engage with us? And how do we engage and support each other? 
And uh, I think that's kind of what these couple of days allows us to do. And I think uh, that, that, that is, is, is terrific. Um, I also wanted to just mention one other name in the middle of the mix, and he's no longer with us. Paddy O'Handlon was the man that wrote the first task force report on immigrants in 2002. He was the chair of that task force. And I think Paddy did a fantastic job in, in all of that. And we, he's somewhere else now looking down on us, somewhere in diaspora heaven, I hope, uh, looking down on us. But I think we're on a journey, and it's a, it's a really exciting one. And our first panel this morning is going to be looking at, the, at a very, very important issue, the challenges facing new Irish immigrants. And uh, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, here, on, starting from the, the far side, Sinead Crowley uh, from the IIBN in, in London, Joe Thompson um, from the Irish-Australian Support Association in Queensland, um, Cathy Murphy uh, from Toronto, from the Irish-Canadian uh, Immigrant Centre in, in Toronto, and uh, lastly, a fellow Limerick man, Stephen Ahern from uh, Outreach, Irish, Irish Outreach San Diego. So each of them are going to, the, the format's very simple. We're also joined on the, the link, I think, yes, I can see them there now, Jean Maguire at the Irish Society of Abu Dhabi and our ambassador, my good friend and colleague from County Offaly, Pat, Pat Hennessy, Ambassador Pat Hennessy, also very, very welcome joining us by, by live link from Abu Dhabi. And um, so the, the form is very simple. I'm going to ask each of the panelists to, to maybe five or six minutes each to give us their perspective uh, from where they're at. Um, and then I'm going to, we're going to uh, throw it open to the audience. I know there's a lot of you that want to make your contribution because, as the minister said, you know, this is our chance now. This is the conversation. And you are the people who you know, are, the, are, are the arms and feet of, of this relationship who do such amazing work you know, um, at the, uh, supporting Irish around the world. And we're, we're deeply grateful to you. So um, without further ado, I want to introduce now Sinead, Sinead Crowley. Sinead is from Cork, and that's called a great start in life. And uh, Sinead is she, she's, uh, the executive director of the IIBN in, the, in London and previously had worked with the Southwest Regional Authority here in Ireland. Um, she's been in London uh, for the last five years now. Uh, she's also involved with, she'll tell you a little bit more about IIBN in a moment. She's also heavily involved with a, a, a great UK charity, ICAP. And in fact, she was celebrating midsummer, I think, until a very late hour last night. So we're very, we're very pleased that Sinead found a way to get a couple of hours sleep to be here with us. And I'm delighted now to introduce uh, Sinead Crowley from IIBM. Thank you very much, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I suppose everyone has a different reason for leaving home. Mine was a wholly positive one. It was for love. And I moved to London, packed my bags five years ago, um, left Cork to be with my husband, who's English, um, because at the time he couldn't even so much as get an interview for a job in Ireland. So our plans for living in the southwest of Ireland were scuppered for another few years. I have to say, when I started thinking about this, I never once thought of myself as an immigrant. I've left Ireland before and I've come back, and my sense of an emigrant or emigration is almost kind of a historical one and somewhat tinged with a little bit of sadness because the feeling was that people were going and that they were never coming back. Whereas I see myself as a perpetual migrator, maybe, as opposed to an emigrant, in that I go away for whatever reason life takes me away, but I always go with the intention of coming back home. And I think more and more people feel extremely strongly about that. And that's something that should be embraced and celebrated, and opportunities for people to do that um, via the um, 
work that the department and the Irish government is doing should be wholly supported. Um, I was very lucky. My husband had a job and a house in England. I didn't have to worry about where I was going to live, how I was going to pay my rent. Getting a national insurance number and opening a joint bank account was simple because I had him by my side. Um, loneliness was less prevalent, again, because I had my husband and his family and friends, but every day, still, I miss my family and friends at home. Um, the first bump in the road for me, I suppose, came when I started trying to think about what it is I wanted to do with myself. I didn't actually, I knew one person in the whole of the UK, one Irish person in the whole of the UK when I moved to England, and I had no access into the Irish community at all abroad. Um, and I was looking at various UK charities that I could volunteer just to give me something to do whilst I figured out what I was going to do. Um, and a friend of mine was in London for business one evening and invited me to a business network event. And that evening I met Andy Rogers, a name to anyone here from the UK or from Sligo, um, will know Andy. And little did I know that that one single introduction was going to change my life irrevocably. And um, he introduced me to ICAP, which is a UK-based Irish counselling and psychotherapy charity, where I volunteered for a year, uh, helping them with their fundraising and events, and they then offered me a part-time job, which I was delighted to accept. Following on from that, I got an offer from IIBN, again, via the contacts I had made within the business networks in London, to take up the role as executive director. And after that, was invited onto the ESAC committee, which is the UK committee that um, advises the Irish government on ESP funding. So in the course of about two years, I found myself wholly immersed in and absolutely embraced by the Irish community. Why am I telling you this, you might ask, when the panel is to look at the challenges that new immigrants face? If you were to reverse all of the opportunities that were presented to me, you'd get an idea as to what the reality is for people looking to make a new start abroad. So having spoken to a number of people via IIPN and ICAP and so on, I've come up with about a dozen headline things. I'm just going to touch on them, but just for topic of conversation. So housing, rents, deposits, um, and the cost of setting yourself up in a new country, transport costs, establishing yourself, getting a national insurance number, visas, opening a personal business bank account, schools, those kind of things, isolation and loneliness, despite the advent of social media, and sometimes because of social media, can actually cause further isolation for some people. Mobility. A lot of Irish people want to move from one country to another, so they might migrate from one place to another, and that offers um, different challenges for them when they're moving from one continent or one um, kind of jurisdiction to another. Access. How do we get access to the right kind of people? This is key. People who can give you access to job opportunities, tell you about accommodation, business leads. When you're looking at entrepreneurs and startups, how do they find the right people to talk to? People they can trust, people who can explain to them what the regulatory issues are with setting up a new business, everything from legal accounting, tax, financial. Emotional support. When you're feeling low or you've got a more serious emotional or mental health problem, taking into account that one, one in four Irish people abroad experience a mental health issue. Where do these people go and who do they talk to? Age, not all immigrants are young, just because we're new. So um, we might have left family at home that we have to take care of. That brings with us a whole other set of challenges. Um, and finally, how do we remain connected to home? So when we have emigrated or we have left home, how do we feel like we have a part to play in 
and a voice in the Ireland of the future. So um, I think that the Irish business networks and the likes of the Irish mental health charities and the organisations and the GAA can play a vital role in helping with this kind of stuff. Uh, and I look forward to the opportunity for people to maybe discuss some of these issues with us further. So, Gwerth Mian Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Well done. I think that's a very generous kind of uh, outline of, of, of your own experience and how, you have, how you've moved from your own personal story into being involved in the community in such a, in such a rich way. Um, moving straight along then, to prove that the Minister is very interested, of course, that this is, a, this is an all-island process, and, um, and to prove that, our next panellist is from, uh, from north of the border, actually originally from the, the great parish of Drumore in County Tyrone, Joe Thompson. So Joe, Joe, um, Joe was brought up in, in Tyrone and uh, was a pharmacist, was working there, and then in 1976 decided to, 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 um, to pack the bags and head for Australia where he has lived for, for the rest of his life. But you, you, can take, um, you, can, you can take the man out of Dromore, but you can't really take Dromore out of the man. Um, so, in, in so he has kept his links very strongly to his home place. Um, so uh, he worked as a pharmacist for many years then in, in, uh, in, 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 Queen, in Queensland and then in, uh, took slightly early retirement, I think, and joined the Catholic Church in Brisbane and, and worked with them for several years again. But all the while, of course, involved in, um, in the community. And uh, so in, in, he became director of the, um, the Irish-Australian Support Association in Queensland in 2008, and he's been secretary of that since 2012. So as a man from Tyrone, you know, via Queensland and uh, Brisbane and so on, and back to Dublin, he, I think he has a very, very rich perspective. So I look forward now to hearing the, the, the thoughts of Joe Thompson. Joe. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, and I just discovered uh, a term for us people from the north. I hadn't heard it until about a couple of weeks ago back in Brisbane that we're known as Nordies. So uh, I accept that term indeed, and I think it's good. But uh, yes, I've been uh, in Australia all that length of time, uh, and I said to Gabriel the other day, I think we'll stay there now. I can't see us probably coming back to, to Ireland again. Um, the challenges facing new migrants to Australia are not far removed from what Sinead has talked about here, but it's principally really that question of, of isolation, of loneliness. And those of you who have been to Australia will appreciate that Australia is really a big country. And I think a lot of people that come for the first time don't really realise that, just how, how vast the country is. I remember some years ago when I was trying to convince um, a sister of mine and her husband to come and visit us. And, uh, and her husband said, yes, he says, I'll be there someday. Don't worry, I will come. And he said, the first thing I want to do when I get there, he says, I want to hire a car and drive to Ayers Rock. I said, are you going to do it in one day or are you going to stay overnight? You know, He had absolutely no idea of the distances and just how vast that country is. And that's one of the problems, is that, that uh, not only the distance within Australia, but the distance that Australia is from, from Ireland, uh, so far away. And that isolation, whilst you may experience it certainly in, in, in the UK and that, it really is something in, in, in Australia, that loneliness. Uh, and as a result of that, we are seeing certainly a lot of mental health issues. Uh, 
particularly with the fly-in, fly-out. Those of you may know what that is, but you'll find that over in, particularly in Western Australia, in the mining communities there, where someone will come out on a 457-sponsored visa for about four years or so, they get that, and the, the family, they'll come with their family, their, their wife and their children, and the family will be based in Perth, shall we say, and they will be in a mining community maybe five, six hours or something north of Perth, and they're three weeks uh, working and one week back in Perth again. And for those three weeks, that family back in Perth are really doing it tough, and particularly if they're new migrants and they haven't really got into, a, 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 I suppose, a support base there, haven't got a support base, although there's a great organization over in Perth who are doing their best with that. But that's, that's one of the things, is that, that mental health problem. And we, in Brisbane as well, uh, unfortunately... Uh, early last year, had the experience of two young people, we believe, sort of felt that life just wasn't worth living anymore and, and took their own life. Very sad and very tragic situations. And arising out of one of those, um, some members of the, of the GEA community uh, organized a mental health workshop and we in ISAC and our association sponsored that. We sponsored the speaker to come up from, from Melbourne, and that was really, really worthwhile. But I feel that we should be doing more about that. We've really got to look at that, at that mental health issue and that loneliness that people experience. The, um, and more, I think, should be done possibly before people leave the, the departure, you know. The, the Clinton Institute on their... Um, supporting the next generation of the Irish diaspora, that report, they recommended that the ESP, the Immigrant Support Programme, should offer support for all stages of the journey for the departure, the time abroad, and the return. I think we're doing the time abroad, we're doing that well, and we're now looking at the returning, but I think more should be done about the departure. Uh, and i just leave those thoughts with you on that, and just finally, I want to just thank... The, uh, the department, the government, for the opportunity that's given me to come here and attend this historic forum. I look forward to, uh, to learning a lot. Even last night, just in the conversation around the table, I was picking up a lot that I can possibly bring back to Australia and help us to continue that work that we are doing there. So I am very, very grateful to the, to the government and to you, Minister, for, for this opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Some very interesting thoughts there, Joe, and very, very, very important points that I'm sure will be picked up as well uh, in the audience. And already we can see some trends uh, emerging there. So our next speaker is, we're going uh, north to Canada now, Cathy Murphy. Uh, Cathy lives in Toronto. She's Canadian, but obviously good Irish roots there with the, you can't escape a name like Cathy Murphy. And uh, she is the, um, she's the director of the Irish-Canadian Immigration Centre um, and is also uh, heavily involved with the, um, the Ireland-Canada Chamber of Commerce. And her own background is in the arts. Uh, she was an artistic producer of Mackenzie Rowe, which is the Irish Repertory Theatre of Canada. Uh, she's a writer. Uh, she's an interviewer. She's a public speaker. And, uh, but the, the, the biggest thing for us she does today is that you know, her great work on a daily basis at the Irish-Canadian Immigration Centre. So we're looking forward now to hearing the thoughts of Cathy and, and the perspective, if you like, of, of the Irish in, in Canada. Cathy Murphy. Thank you. Good morning. Um, 
Unlike many of my colleagues here from the centres around the world in the DFA's portfolio, our uh, centre in Canada is actually a national centre, so our offices are located in Toronto, but we serve the new Irish across Canada. And we mainly serve a constituency of young Irish, about 18 to 35. Again, a lot of my colleagues, especially in America, are also serving Irish seniors abroad, but our, um, our clients are very young and very new to Canada. And I'm going to highlight three main challenges we've come up against since we opened our doors in 2012. The first would be skills recognition and Canadian certification. So what we have noticed in a number of the trades in particular, such as plumbing, um, those who are electricians and other compulsory trades, and also in a number of sectors such as engineering, nursing, um, those who are occupational therapists, many of them actually have to sit exams upon arrival in Canada, and many have to recertify or at least do another year's worth of training to be able to practice in Canada. And in most cases, this can't be done until they arrive in Canada. So it does make for a rather truncated beginning upon arriving in Canada. And we have noticed that if these individuals would be um, sort of better equipped with, to understand what they need to do when they get to us, that um, it will mitigate some of their expectations and disappointments, particularly financially. So that would be the first big one that we highlight if we are lucky enough to speak to the young Irish before they come over. The second one would be understanding the work permits that they come over on. And I know that uh, in America and Australia, we're all dealing with different work permits. In Canada, for those of you who are in Ireland, you will have heard mostly about the Irish, uh, sorry, the um, International Experience Canada program where the young Irish come over on mostly a two-year open work permit. Uh, what's less talked about is the permit that the slightly older Irish come over on, those over 35. It's a closed work permit. And we've seen a number of serious financial challenges with these people who often come with families because they fail to understand, and perhaps the Canadian government has failed to communicate before they arrive, that the closed work permit is tied 100% to the employer who sponsors them. And that employer can both, unfortunately, lay that individual off or let that individual go with very little warning morning. In a situation like that, they cannot continue to work in Canada unless they switch to a new work permit, and that can take anywhere from one to five months. So we've come up against some very serious challenges there that we would like the Irish coming over to know more about before they come, the specific stipulations of their work permits. And the final big challenge, um, and I would underscore my colleague Joe's comments, would be mental health challenges uh, with the new Irish um, I'm sure we all acknowledge that immigrant communities worldwide would face elevated rates of depression and addiction. And we certainly noticed in Canada, as my colleague Joe has, that um, the young Irish in particular are unwilling, unable to reach out for the support they might need for a variety of reasons. We started a program in Toronto to start to address that, and um, I'm hoping that we can talk about this more fully as, um, as the panel completes. So those would be the three big challenges that we're up against in Canada. Thank you, Cathy. Thank you, It's interesting the way that uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough, the way that isolation sort of seems to be a theme running, running through. And I would like to take this opportunity, by the way, to just to pay tribute to the Emigrant Support Programme. You know, as the Minister said, that's 125 million that has been, um, that has been actually you know, assigned uh, since the start of the Irish Abroad Unit in 2004. And I, I know that, that, that it's one of the challenging pieces is that, you know, the, the relationship between Ireland and the diaspora. But when we finally as a country came into, came into money, as we say, in the, with, the, with the Celtic Tiger era, and we set up the Irish Abroad Unit. 
Actually, I'd be proud of the fact that the first thing that was done was actually the creation of, a, of, a, of, a, of the immigrant support programme and a chance finally to start giving back to the, to, to, to the generosity of our immigrants over the years because, let's put it on the record as well, one of the huge factors for, for us in these, as we look back in over 100 years of statehood, has been the extraordinary support of our immigrants to families here in Ireland through remittances and that. And, uh, we, we, we put that on record, but I think also that the fact that the immigrant support program is there on such a, you know, on such a, a big basis, and I think we are now seeing that that is, if we are a real community, then we must be supporting each other and we must be supporting everybody. Um, and I think this is, you know, diaspora relationship isn't just about harnessing for the harnessing for the purposes of economics. I think it starts with the human relationships. And I think that what we're hearing from the panel today is underlining that that's a reality uh, of the journey as well that we have to be about the business of. Our final speaker in this panel, and I, I will ask uh, Ambassador Pat or Jean if they want to make a comment as well virtually from, from Abu Dhabi, but our final live presence here on the panel is, is a fellow Limerick man of, of my own, Stephen Ahern. And Stephen is from Capamore, and um, he's a graduate of uh, UCC and uh, University College Cork and University of Limerick. Uh, he's, a, uh, he's a law graduate, and um, he emigrated himself and left Limerick, despite the delights of Limerick. I don't know what happened there, Stephen, but uh, obviously he wasn't able to hold you. And uh, uh, he went to Australia initially, for spent three years in Australia, and then in 2010 moved from Australia to, uh, to San Diego, where he's been living since. And he's now, the, um, he's now our man at um, um, Irish Support, um, uh, Irish Outreach San Diego. So he, he's an interesting take as somebody who's been uh, in a number of countries. And we look forward now to hearing the, the views uh, of Stephen Hearn. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's great going last anyway, because I think you've got everything covered already. Um, it is, it's a big honour for me to be here today and um, particularly to be speaking on this particular topic, um, as it is one that's very close to, to my heart um, as a new immigrant originally to Australia in the mid-2000s, uh, actually in Joe's neck of the woods in southern Queensland, um, and later to the United States, um, and also, of course, in my work as Executive Director of Irish Outreach San Diego, uh, where we would work with new arrivals on a weekly basis. Um, I'd like to thank Minister Deenahan, uh, Minister Flanagan, the DFA, and within the DFA, particularly the Irish Abroad Unit, um, and also, of course, the Clinton Institute and UCD for all their hard work in making the event a reality. Um, Irish Outreach San Diego is a member of the Coalition of Irish Immigration Centres. Uh, two weeks ago, all the member centres met in Boston for the Coalition's AGM. Um, the Global Irish Civic Forum was discussed in depth uh, with each centre, giving me feedback on the challenges they saw at their centres for new arrivals uh, that they were assisting. So that was very useful to me in terms of being able to bring a national picture from the U.S., um, some of the major recurring themes were ones that, from listening to my fellow panellists here, uh, ones that seem to be challenges common to, to all new Irish immigrants, while others were ones that are specific to the United States. Um, I think the, the key challenge we see that is quite specific to new Irish immigrants to the States is the lack of a clear pathway to long-term residency. Um, whether coming over to the States on temporary work visas, on the, the one-year J-1 intern visa, or as visa waiver overstays, um, there are very few practical options to secure long-term residency. Um, the H-1B visa is a non-immigrant visa that's available to skilled workers. Um, 
but numbers are quite limited um, with that visa to the point that the visas are decided by lottery. Um, others, including myself, uh, ended up falling in love with a native and uh, filing for adjustment of status through marriage. Uh, but outside of that, options are extremely limited. Um, many of the Irish centres around the states are very active in the quest for immigration reform. Um, but aside from seeking general reform in this area, there is also hope that a visa specifically for Irish immigrants uh, will be created as a recognition of the vital role that Irish immigrants continue to play in the American story today uh, and one that provides a pathway to permanent residency like the, the Donnelly and the Morrison visas of the 80s and early 90s. Um, and in saying that, I would like to recognise the role of the Irish government in its continued support for this push. Um, Moving on from that, another issue we would see with new arrivals is a lack of preparedness for life in the United States and the various challenges that it presents. Um, one aspect of that would simply be lack of economic preparation, uh, not bringing enough savings with them and getting quite a shock when they realize the cost of living over there, particularly in relation to accommodation. Um, this is probably most notable in cities like New York and San Francisco particularly, but also in my own city of San Diego, cities like Boston, Chicago. Um, another issue that was noted at our AGM, um, particularly in relation to the 12-month graduate J1s, is a lack of preparation in terms of their professional outlook, um, particularly in comparison to their American counterparts who have recently graduated. Uh, there's often a tendency among the J1 graduates to underestimate the importance of creating a professional standard resume of engaging in professional networking, either in, in terms of attending events or virtually through LinkedIn, um, and generally in terms of going the extra mile to get your foot in the door. Uh, I would urge the third-level institutions in Ireland to give consideration to providing more resources to students in terms of preparing them for the, the high standards that are expected from graduates. Um, this is also increasingly relevant in the Irish workplace where U.S. practices and cultures are becoming the norm. Um, finally, I would mention the lack of preparedness when it comes to awareness of different cultural and societal norms. Um, I've seen this manifest itself most prominently in terms of the legal system and the healthcare system. I think it's fair to say that in many ways the US is a less forgiving society than Ireland. The same safety nets don't necessarily, don't necessarily exist. Um, I think all of the centres in the States have dealt with very serious cases that have resulted from a lack of awareness in these areas. Um, the need for our Irish immigrants to have health insurance uh, in the States cannot be stressed enough. Uh, furthermore, any legal issues they run into often have far greater implications than they would have at home, and it's vital that new arrivals are aware of the laws and act accordingly to respect them. Uh, the final challenges I would mention are ones that have already been mentioned by fellow panellists um, and are also going to be covered in depth, I know, in, in, in the panel discussions later on in the day. Um, but they're serious so social challenges, um, particularly alcohol and substance abuse, homesickness and depression and suicide. Um, in many ways, these are interconnected with alcohol and substance abuse and homesickness, often the catalyst for depression. Um, one interesting point that was raised at the coalition AGM was the high disposable incomes that our new arrivals often have access to, particularly in the construction industry, um, and the role displays in creating these social issues, particularly with the work hard, play hard culture that often prevails on the buildings. And that's something that I experienced myself in my own time in construction in Australia. Um, 
And just, just uh, finally, again, just to note the fact that Pieta House are opening a uh, centre in New York, and it's most welcome news. And I'd like to congratulate Joan Freeman and all involved with Pieta House and the New York Irish Centres on that initiative. Um, so, like I said, that's that's all you have for me. Gorv Mila Thank you, Stephen. But I think that that's been, yes, that's been a, a great contribution from our four panellists uh, here. And thank you, Stephen and Cathy and, and Joe and uh, Sinead. And we'll obviously be hearing from you in the course of the discussion. But now I kind of, I'd like to go into my Eurovision mode. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to call in the Abu Dhabi jury. And uh, maybe we could call. <laughs> uh, you see, Hennessy, I was waiting for that. <laughs> We're, we're old buddies. Um, could I call on the ambassador, uh, Pat Hennessy, if you'd like to say a few words to us, and Jean McGuire. Come in Abu Dhabi. Well, uh, Tip, hello, hello Tip from Abu Dhabi, and it's definitely Deuce Fawn to the moderator. Um, Tim, uh, we're, 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 we're delighted to, uh, to join you here from uh, Abu Dhabi, where the Irish presence uh, business-wise, trade-wise, Irish community-wise is growing uh, very rapidly and we're delighted to, see, uh, to be hosted today by, by Minister Dinehan. Uh, we were delighted to welcome him uh, out here to the region very early in his tenure. Now, I'm joined here uh, today uh, by Jean McGuire, the uh, President of the Abu Dhabi Irish Society and uh, Jean is a real torrent of energy uh, here and does wonderful work to the society, uh, promoting and assisting our community. So I, it's, here, it's you uh, and it's, it's Jean you want to hear from, so I'm now going to hand over to Jean. Jean McGuire, President of Abu Dhabi Irish Society. Uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, my role here in Abu Dhabi is uh, as President of the Irish Society and I've been doing this now for almost a year. Um, we in fact just celebrated 40 years um, in existence here um, this year of the Irish Society and the society is growing all the time. We have um, in the UAE we have over 7,000 Irish people here now and um, we have uh, obviously a thriving GAA community and we recently held the first ever World GAA Games here in Abu Dhabi in March and that was a fantastic success. And so we, we work very closely as well with the Irish Business Council here in, in Abu Dhabi and we have very strong ties with them. And I suppose challenges that we face um, for new immigrants coming to Abu Dhabi are very similar to listening to the rest of the panel there. Um, we do have similar challenges here and we have uh, cultural challenges as well. We have a lot of young Irish teachers coming out. And um, we have a lot of young Irish families coming out here as well now, and we really do try and cater for all members of our community. And um, we're a voluntary organisation, and there's only so much that we can do, but we really do try our best to uh, make it very inclusive and to look after everybody in our community. And uh, we, what we try and do is we we try and uh, connect our children. I have three kids here myself, and we try and give them. And as much connection to home as we possibly can through GAA, through Irish language classes and through Irish dancing and other events like that. And we try and again look after a lot of new people when they're coming out with uh, giving them information as much as we possibly can. We have websites uh, like Abu 
Paddy website, which is very helpful uh, for all new immigrants coming out here. And we try and connect with them very early on when they get here and give them as much help and support as we possibly can. But we do face challenges, again, like uh, many of the challenges that you've already mentioned here would be very similar to what, what we face here as well in Abu Dhabi. Thank you very much, Jean, and thank you, Ambassador Pat. A round of applause for Jean. Well, I think our panellists, I think, Minister, you agree, the panellists, have, that's given us a great start now. Very practical, very tangible, very focused, and, we, you know, we've already, get, uh, there are trends emerging in, the, in terms of the kinds of, um, the kinds of issues and the challenges facing, and maybe how we can, I think, Minister, your, your hope here was that we would be able to share thoughts and, and kind of ideas about, you know, how to better uh, tackle those challenges. So now it's over to you. We have about 45 minutes left um, in, the, in the session, so it's, it's over to you now. So just uh, with your questions and comments, so just a small bit of housekeeping. So uh, I'm going to call you as best I can. We'll probably take maybe two or three at a time so to give us a chance to as many people as possible to speak. So if you'd wait, please, until the, if you'd put your hand up and then wait until the microphone comes to you, and then if you'd just tell us who you are as well and, uh, and, and, and make your point. So who wants to be the first? I see a hand here. David, I think, is, is going to um, speak to us. Thanks. Hello. My name is David Burns, and I myself am just recently back from Paris. Just back uh, two weeks, got a job in Dublin. And I'm here with a bunch of immigrants that uh, campaigned for marriage equality. They campaigned to bring people home. So these are people behind Home to Vote. There's Joy Kavanagh, Sheva Brooke, Stephen Markham, Conor O'Neill. So I'd like to thank, you know, first off, Sinead, Joe, like Cathy, Stephen, Pat and Jean for an excellent discussion. Uh, it was kind of striking, though, there was a few recurring issues and there was also, you know, diverse, diverse issues that come up with new emigrants. And like one of the best ways to represent, you know, a, a diverse range of views is the democratic system of elected representation. And we talked, you know, there was a talk about how to ensure a continuation of funding, how to ensure, you know, increased funding or that funding doesn't get cut. And one of the ways to do that is to have an elected representative for immigrants who literally stands by and says, you know, these people need more money, that there's a, there's a mental health issue here, we need to be active on that. Someone in Dáil Éireann basically bringing this up and, um, you know, has an issue. And when we first started, like, you know, myself and Connor, who works with me and we're coming back, we found, you know, a lot of people said to us that uh, immigrant voting rights was a minority issue, that many people didn't care about it. And, uh, you know, obviously that's changed as, as things have gone on, especially with regards to last week. So I'd like to ask the panel, if it's possible, um, what their own views are on immigrant voting rights in light of the fact, you know, in light of what I've just said, in light of how having an elected representative for a lot of people is a good way to get their own feelings. It's a good way to represent, you know, if you're looking into what kind of challenges are facing new immigrants, one of the best ways to deal with that is to have someone there elected by these new immigrants who stands up for them and says what these challenges are, who has a mandate. Thank you, David. I'd like to answer the question and just, you know, give your own point of view on immigrant voting rights, like in light of what I've just said. Do you agree that there should be elected representative? Would you find it helpful? Okay, I think actually that's a very important question. I, if I, if you know, in fact, I'm going to go straight to the panel maybe to take that. And I would like to, as a citizen myself, just to congratulate you, David, and, and, and your colleagues there. Uh, I mean, as a citizen, you know, part, participating in the referendum a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think one of the, the really part, it was, a, it, was a, it was an amazing campaign in many levels, but 
But in fact, one of the key features for me was, in fact, the extraordinary um, contribution of Home to Vote and, and the whole notion of it. And I have to say, in my, in my experience, I, I can't recall ever seeing, um, a, 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 you know, such numbers of, of people in such a positive, you know, coming back to vote. And I think you have you have put the uh, you've put the issue. And I know it's it's something that that the minister is following very very closely as well, you know, as part of the government. But I'd just like to congratulate you. You've absolutely ramped up the issue uh, and what you've done over the last 10 days. So could I just ask the, the panel, as, as David is asking, you know, your, how is it, how is it, how is the issue, uh, are you finding it in, you know, in your community? Sinead, yes, please. Um, you asked us personally. I mean, I would be in favour of it. Um, I think what's happened over the last couple of weeks has probably created a kind of a mind shift in general. Um, but that being said, I suppose in terms of the um, discussions I would have had about this over the last couple of years within, say, IIBN and amongst the business community, um, feelings were mixed. Um, the reason being is that I think fundamentally people were very much in favour of it, but I felt, I, sorry, a lot of people felt that because they left Ireland and possibly at a time when Ireland was, you know, pretty much on its knees, and they knew the people at home that stayed at home um, were struggling, that they kind of felt like they didn't have a right <coughs> to vote about things that were going to happen in the future when they weren't then living in the country. So I can't give you a clear-cut answer on it. Like, I think people liked the idea in principle, but some people also felt that by leaving, they kind of... They didn't feel they had the right to then potentially swing... A vote in Ireland in the future. So I'm sorry I can't give you a more concrete answer than Thanks, that. Thanks, Ed. Joe? I would, I would probably be of the, of the same thinking as well, in that in my case, you know, I've left, I've been living for 40 years in Australia, and I begin to think personally what right do I have uh, to be there to influence um, affairs taking, taking part here back in Ireland? Um, Possibly, uh, it's an issue that comes up in Australia from time to time. Um, I haven't really found any strong opinions on it. Um, but saying that as well, some of you may know that voting in Australia for Australian citizens is compulsory, compulsory voting there. And uh, if you're an Australian citizen, you're living overseas, um, efforts are there for you if you go to the Australian Embassy, wherever it might be, and you can register your vote. And quite often elections in Australia are determined by those postal votes that are coming in towards the end and the counting of them. Um, I think as regards to the Irish situation, yes, I can see the merit in having a voice in, uh, back here in, 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 in the government and, and that voting right. I'd be inclined to think that maybe it should be limited to some term, maybe four, five years, six years or something like that after you would have left Ireland. Uh, possibly, yeah, I could possibly maybe accept or go along with something like that. Thanks, but it's, uh, it's a difficult one. Thanks, Joe. Cathy? This has come up a lot in Canada with our young constituents. It's a particular issue, though, uh, in Canada and in America because so many um, first and second generation Irish Canadians and Irish Americans actually are also Irish nationals. Someone like myself who has uh, passports for both countries but has never actually been a resident of Ireland. Someone like me certainly has no right to vote on what happens here, but I can see it being very, very relevant for the new Irish. The closest we 
we've been able to come to actually addressing it is to have a rotating position on our board of directors for a new arrivals representative that changes every 12 months, so at least the voice is current, if not voting. Great. Thanks, Kathy. Stephen? Um, yeah, the whole issue, it's something I would have been supportive of, uh, particularly in terms of uh, voting for the, in the presidential elections. Um, I wasn't sure of whether there was uh, much interest of it within our community, uh, but with the recent referendum, we did get a, a small number of calls from more recent immigrants, even the temporary summer J1s, some of the 12-month graduates, wondering how they could vote, and the simple answer was they couldn't vote without flying home. There is no mechanism for a postal vote. So I think that is just one for the very recent immigrants, for very recent immigrants, people who are out of the country. It definitely feels like it is something that should be addressed. Again, it does seem like it comes a point um, in terms of general elections. Uh, where there's a period when you've been out of the country that long, you wonder, should you have a say in the actual day-to-day -day running of the country from a democratic point of view? Um, so, again, yeah, it's nuanced. There's so many different, from the presidential election to referendums to general elections, that it's, it's a wider debate. Thanks, Stephen. Yep. Jean? Jean, did you want to comment? I'm going to let Pat, um, I'm actually, unfortunately, have to, to head off, but Pat's going to oh, take over here for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you're the president, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do the school run, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I, thank you very much for your contribution. Really appreciate it. It's great to have you here with us. And uh, I, 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 Ambassador, did you want to make any comments on, you know, from terms of the views of the community? Uh, no, no, I... I I think speak, I just speak want to draw attention to the multitasking that, uh, uh, I'm drawing attention to the multitasking that uh, is involved in leadership roles in the, uh, in, 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 in the community. Though otherwise, I, mean, I, I know this is something that uh, uh, Minister Dina has, has uh, you know, started a debate on. Um, it's not something that we've had you know, huge, I think, response on here, but I think it's a, it's a conversation that's, uh, you know, that clearly is going to continue with the responses from your panel and their double indicate that. Thank you for that. And, th and thank you again, Jean, and all the best. And thank you for joining us today. So I, I think that, you know, David, I, you know, you've raised, I, as I said to you earlier, I think this is, a, this is actually, you know, a profound issue. It's obviously there are varying views. It seems to depend a little bit as well on the length of time. But I think it's absolutely part of a debate about, you know, whether we really are a global community or not. And I, I think that you, you've, uh, you know, fair play to you. You've absolutely ramped it up on the, on the agenda now uh, and, and a very impressive achievement. I think this is going to be now, it's, it's now a real live conversation that's, that's going to, to run on and I think we will come to, we will come to the right answer. Yeah, you know, thank you. So next question, please. Over here. Thank you. I thank you. Hello. I would just like to say good Could morning. Yes, uh, Nolene Saeed, President of the Irish Business Council in Abu Dhabi. So I would just like to say good morning to our ambassador. Good morning, Patrick, and to Jean. I was waving at you. I didn't know if you could see us or not. I just got in from Abu Dhabi this morning, and I'm delighted to, to attend this. Listening to the panel, the challenges are definitely the same in the community in Abu Dhabi and right across the UAE, but it is a unique place in the sense of when Irish people come to Abu Dhabi, uh, their residency is based on their work permit. So there's a huge wide range of issues that arise from that. I'm looking forward over the next couple of days to talking to a lot of you here and taking back to Abu Dhabi and to the UAE how we can face some of these challenges together. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Nani. Could I take two more maybe? Yes, over here. Thank you. 
I'm done. Have we somebody here? Hello, I'm Anne Ty, Birmingham. Um, I'm the daughter of immigrants who came to England in, during the war uh, at a time when there were no support systems at all in the country. Uh, the um, Education Act hadn't come in. There was no National Health Service. And the people who were there helped the people who came. There were all sorts of things that happened after that. Obviously, the war was a very difficult time. But after that, um, the GA, Irish dancing, lots of things started at that time. People were met coming off the boats by people from the um, county associations, which sadly um, don't seem to exist very much anymore. So, and, and I'm really quite disappointed to hear the, um, the problems that people are having regarding information, because I would have thought that now, with the internet, that we have more information and more access to it than ever before. So my question is, with all this information that is available for everybody who's going anywhere in the world, and sadly that is still the case with the Irish, and my parents were always coming home. Most of the people that I met as a child, we were, I was brought up in a very Irish family. We came home every year. We were very lucky because we lived in England. I remember when my friend emigrated to Australia, I thought I would never see her again. What I'm saying is, we've got all this information. Surely we should be helping people before they emigrate so that they know the challenges. And the challenges seem to be exactly the same now as they were nearly 100 years ago. One more question from this group? Sorry, here, because you're at the front. Thank you. Here at the front, thanks. Good morning, my name is Trevor O'Cloherty. I'm the Sinn Féin spokesperson for the diaspora, and I'm a returned immigrant myself, born and brought up in Huddersfield. And I lost the accent because nobody could understand a word I said when I came home to Ireland. What did you say, uh, Trevor? Sorry. <laughs> So uh, I'd like to welcome uh, all the panel and I congratulate Mr. Deanahan actually on all of his team on, on the, the initiative. But my question kind of follows up on the previous comment about uh, you have in all of your situations geographic issues because the, the, the community of Irish in all of your home places are scattered around a very dispersed geographic area. So how do you actually, how do we engage with the diaspora in your, in your home places in, in, in Britain, in Australia, in Canada? and in the States, when, when they're so geographically scattered around the area, uh, how do we engage with them, uh, bring them into networks, bring them into groups, to offer them both the information and the supports that are necessary and make, make it known to them what supports are available from home, uh, you know, and link back with them so we can address the issues that you're raising about uh, preparing in advance support while they're there, and then for those who want to return, how do we support them coming back? Thanks, Okay, so maybe we just, so if, if anybody in the panel now, so basically we've had uh, kind of three basic, I think only from Abu Dhabi's, our, you know, the, the, the work permits is an issue. Um, our, our colleague from Birmingham is, is, is raising the point that with so much information available, um, 
then how come we're, it still seems to be an issue, and particularly the question of, you know, b before, uh, th should there be more before people leave? And then Trevor is, is raising the issue of geographic dispersal. How do you, if people are so dispersed across large tracts, how do you, how do you support people spread on such a basis? So, uh, did anybody want to start on any of those, please? Joe? Yeah, probably with uh, our situation in Australia, I think sometimes it's the old adage, you know, you can bring the horse to water, we're making it drinks and other things. Um, and we in Brisbane, and I know in Perth, I'm not too sure, Mary, in, if in, in, in Melbourne or not, but we actually uh, published a booklet, Welcome to Brisbane, and Perth did the same thing. And outlining, um, you know, all the things that the new arrival uh, will experience, helping them with uh, the schooling system, banking system, uh, getting a loan, all those sorts of things that will help, you know. And I know that Joan Ross from the Clada Association in Perth was here a couple of years ago with, with their Perth booklet, and, uh, and she tried to publish it as, as best as she could to get people. But you've got all this information, you can put it out, but people just won't go to it. They won't access it until they find themselves in trouble, and then they, may, they will come and look for you then, you know? From your experience, therefore, of, of all that, do you, do you, do you agree then that, that, that maybe we could be doing more here in a proactive way? Or, you know, obviously there are things going on yeah. here, and there are yeah. groups who are, yeah. you know, who are seeking to yeah. give the, and I know Kingsley, Kingsley Aikens has done some, yeah. uh, some work on that uh, yeah. you know, as, as well. So preparing people, to, is, are you saying that, that some more should be done, and maybe that's one of the, 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 the points to come out of here, is it? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that uh, quotation there that I gave from the Clinton Institute report, you know, the departure, the time abroad, and, and the returning, I think the time abroad certainly were working very, very well in that, and now you're looking at the returning as well. But I think a lot more could be done with the departure, and, and it's going to be difficult. How you do it, I don't know. But I think to really get that message across to people, particularly if they're coming to Australia, you know, yeah. but Australia, that, that distance, it's, uh, it can be a nightmare at times. It can be so difficult. I mean, those of who have been living in Australia for a number of years just know what it is to not have that immediate contact with family. Uh, you know, I had um, I talked to a young uh, mother in Brisbane before I left, and she has been instrumental in organising a mothers group for us, for our association in Brisbane, and trying to get all the young families coming in, the young mothers, getting them together once a week with the, just for the kids, just to talk and to and to relax and to and to help them in some way. You know, sort of a support network there. You know. And uh, she told me about the situation where um, she, fell, she fell ill. And uh, for some reason, she organized for her mother to pay the fare for her to come to Brisbane to look after her family whilst she was ill, you know. And uh, that's just one of the things that, that uh, people may have to do, just that isolation and not having that family network there to, uh, you know, the mother to, to lean on, you know. Any other? <coughs> yeah, if you don't mind. Um, I suppose um, in terms of the geographic dispersion, um, as far as IIBN is concerned, we have chapters in New York, in London and in Ireland. And 
people sometimes ask us, why do you have an Irish chapter of an Irish international business network? And the very reason is, is because it's an outward looking chapter. And a lot of our members use it as a means to connect them out into the diaspora in the UK, in the US and, and further afield. Because we have members from outside of those areas who travel for business and like to tap into the network as they do so. Um, so that has very much become a kind of point of contact for people. And certainly um, in London and New York, we have the opposite problem where we've got a concentration of population. So people, again, are kind of slightly overwhelmed and they say, oh, God, where am I going to start? Um, and so IIBN has become one of those kind of vehicles of referral. We don't advertise or anything, but by word of mouth, people would say, oh, you need to go to talk to IIBN, or I know Steve Lennox is here, um, whether, you know, or networks like NGB or in New York or other Irish business networks. So, I mean, I think that's definitely a vehicle, as, as you say, you can't make people read it in advance, but as long as they know when they get there that there is a trusted source of, of connected people who can then give them the advice and guidance that they need, I think that makes a difference. Um, can I just make one more yeah. point if you don't mind? Um, specifically, um, thanks to, in, um, uh, to the funding under the Emigrant Support Programme, we have two um, mentoring programmes in place. One is called the Irish Executive Mentoring Programme, and it's available to anybody with any Irish connection around the world of any age. It's an online mentoring programme at iemp.org, so anyone looking to be a mentor or needing a mentor can access that tool, and your mentor might be in Australia and you're based in Cork or New York, and a future leaders program as well to help the 25 to 35 year olds who are looking to make that leap into the um, business community outside of Ireland. So. I, might just take, I, might, I might just take a couple of few more questions yeah. now, and if anybody wants to jump in, thanks very much. So here first, and then there, and then there, okay? So here, this gentleman here, thank you. Sorry, this gentleman here, please and then yourself there, and then a third one here. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Ronnie Miller, the director of the Irish International Immigrant Centre in Boston, and I'm um, delighted to be here this morning and thank the, the panel for your wonderful presentations, especially to Stephen for representing the Coalition of Irish Immigration Centres in the U.S. Um, I'm interested just to hear, um, one in Boston, obviously, uh, it's a very Irish, the capital of Ireland outside of Ireland. We like to say that Boston, of course, but it's also a very diverse city and over 27% of the residents there are foreign born and it's a hugely sort of a, a big issue in terms of integration and inclusion. And I'm interested, you know, our centre has been around for 25 years and a big part of our work is actually to build community with people from different backgrounds. We changed our name from the Irish Immigration Centre to the Irish International Immigrant Centre and very intentionally bring Irish immigrants together with people from different backgrounds. We started a, a, a black and green programme and with monthly storytelling and sort of community building um, activities. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge to get newer immigrants to sort of come into that. There's a real legacy of racism and segregation in Boston. There's been a lot of history with busing and forced um, segregation. And I'm interested just to hear if there's any sort of any good practices or challenges around inclusion and helping the Irish really live alongside people with different backgrounds, right? We all live in very diverse cities and societies. So just interested to hear if there's any sort of good work going on in sort of bringing people together 
Or is there any challenges Thanks. around that? Thanks, Ronnie. Very interesting question. And sorry, as a former Consul General in New York, I do have to challenge, though, uh, the, the notion of boss. Siobhan Dennehy and Mike Carroll would not let me away with the fact that I've already forgotten my But Anyway, we'll have that debate later over a pint. Sorry. Thank you. A very interesting question, Ronnie. Thank you. Uh, my name is Noreen Kelly, Luton Irish Forum, originally from Limerick. Um, where can I start? I've resumed with every single thing the panel has said we see it on a daily basis, people coming in. Um, we are very grateful to the Irish government for the grant we're receiving from them. However, that's been reduced in the last few years gradually, and now we're hit by the strength of the pound, so that will hit smaller organisations. And a grant can buy you debt worker, which is very important to us, as you can imagine. Um, I'm trying to keep this to a few points. Another one is um, this voting thing. I don't want to vote in Ireland personally. It's nothing to do with where I belong and where I don't. I've been living in England most of my life, and my roots are here. And the other thing is, with an organisation like ours, we have no influence if we don't have a vote. And we can make the local politicians listen to us and grants and other things if we can't vote, and that is why I don't. Um, another thing is um, developing the um, culture. We this is going well for us. Second generation Irish coming here are very interested in culture and will come in. And that's the first time we, I can say that we've ever made any success with the next generation and not where we expected it. They'll come in and we have one maybe on a monthly basis. I believe the ambassador's coming down soon to do one. That's important to us that we develop that. With the problems that come in, this gentleman here who said um, they'll come to us when they're in trouble, they definitely will. And they'll come in to us and we have one problem to be dealt with. We have five by the time we're finished. Could the panel please comment on it, anybody who likes? Thanks, Noreen. Thank you, Noreen. And finally, just on this time, yes, here. Thank you. Uh, this is on. Oh, yeah. My name is James Kelly. I'm with the Ireland Canada University Foundation. Um, I just have a question um, with regard to uh, the nature of community in the diaspora. And uh, so uh, my engagement uh, is with Canada and the Irish uh, community in Canada. Uh, I was over there recently. Uh, at a large event, and I, what I noticed it was um, something maybe of a, a, a disconnect between the established diaspora, you know, the, the, the people who, <coughs> who went over 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, and the new uh, Irish that are going there. Um, and uh, I, I, I can see that this, is ha this happens in the States and in the UK as well, Australia probably, and I think that's a challenge for those involved uh, in, you know, working with the diaspora in these countries. Uh, the links are there, you know, there's people who've been there 20, 30 years. Uh, but the, those new ones, uh, the new people coming in, they're kind of, they, they come from a different Ireland uh, to those who, who came out 20 or 30 years ago. And I'm just, I'd be very interested, particularly in the Canadian context, that's my interest, but just to know, you know, is that seen as a challenge and how, uh, how do you go about addressing it? Thanks very much, James. Yeah, great questions there, I must say. So um, the, from, uh, from Ronnie, the interaction with other cultures, and that's a fair point if you're moving uh, to multicultural societies, although, mind you, <laughs> Ireland has increasingly become a multicultural society itself, and which I think is a, is a great thing. We have people coming in here now uh, in, in large number. Um, 
but still, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good point. And Noreen then is, 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 has made some interesting comments on voting and the, the role of culture, but the, the continuing kind of problems that, that it face. And then James in Canada is, is asking about the, an interesting question. Is there a disconnect between the established uh, diaspora in Canada, in this case, and the, the new arrivals? So I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go out through everybody in the panel now, but maybe a couple of – maybe, Cathy, if you'd like to – to comment, please, on uh, I suppose, presumably James's question. Yes, I'll speak to James's question. Thank you, James. There's, we have definitely witnessed an intergenerational disconnect between the established Irish and the new Irish. The main bridge there is, without a doubt, the GAA. They're definitely creating community there. Um, but the um, the various branches of the Ireland Canada Chambers of Commerce across Canada actually have a real opportunity here to help to bridge intergenerational uh, communities as well, particularly with respect to networking opportunities and providing connections for the new Irish to employment opportunities. So I just think the young Irish haven't tapped into the chambers yet, whereas they tap in very much to the GAA. Um. Stephen, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, just to reiterate that, um, definitely with our elderly community, the church is a big part of, of, of their lives. The younger immigrants we see, it's the GA is the way of reaching out to them. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and yeah, Ambassador Pat, could I just, on the, the, there was a couple of questions around culture, you know, the role of culture and also multiculturalism yeah. there. From your perspective in Abu Dhabi, and the, you know, uh, do you see the role of culture as a kind of a piece? I think Noreen was, was raising that, that that's, the, that's, that's a kind of an important piece in terms of transfer to the next generation as well, you know? How do you find that from your perspective? Yeah. Uh, no, that, I mean that's, that's certainly uh, something important, and something that the the, so the, the Irish uh, groups here, uh, you know, put as part of their of their of their agenda. I suppose the thing I I'd say picking up on some of the earlier conversation was we have here uh, we have a very strong uh, network in terms of uh, Irish societies, Irish business councils, and networks, and and the GEA. Uh, as other panelists have said, the GEA is playing an enormous role. Uh, in, in providing a focal point for activities uh, and networking among our, particularly the young Irish, but not only, not only the young Irish. Uh, we have here, as uh, with so Abu Dhabi and Dubai, would be the two sort of major centres, but we have other centres as well. And in all of these, uh, the GEA uh, is extremely well uh, organised, fielding uh, you know, large numbers of teams, both uh, in, for men and women. Uh, we saw this, as Jean mentioned earlier, when we had the, uh, the inaugural GEA World Games here uh, back. Uh, back in, in, in March. I suppose that there's also an aspect of culture which again uh, Jean mentioned in terms of the local culture and, and preparing uh, younger or new immigrants or potential new immigrants for coming out here. I think that's one of the areas where uh, certainly a certain amount of sort of advice uh, and preparation can, can come in can come in handy because people can, can arrive perhaps with a slightly um, uh, unreal view of what life in this part of the world is about. There are many elements which are perhaps similar to, uh, uh, to the world that they know, but there are also elements that are distinctive and unique here. And uh, I think what's important perhaps is to at least alert them to the need to, to, to avail of the information that's out there, because whether it's through uh, Nolene's uh, organisation, the Irish Business Council here in, in, in Abu Dhabi, the Irish Business Network up in Dubai, the two Irish societies, uh, the Abu Dhabi Paddy Net uh, website that, uh, that was mentioned earlier. There's a lot of information out there and available to people, but I suppose it's, it's to try to get the message out back home that before you travel, do your homework, uh, check it out, look into what's involved, 
So whether it's uh, issues around work permits, whether it's issues around some of the cultural do's and don'ts uh, of life out here, or even around issues like banking and finance, which again can be quite particular and sometimes can trip people up. So a bit of homework can save problems uh, once you get here. There are many, many advantages, many, many positive aspects of life here, which is why the Irish community is growing rapidly. Uh, but there are the, the, the pitfalls can be avoided with a bit of homework. And I suppose if there was some message back from here, it would be to, you know, to encourage uh, people at home who are thinking of coming out to, uh, to avail of that and to use the opportunities and the networks back home to get that message out to, our, uh, to people back in Ireland. Thanks, Pat. Thanks. Maybe if I could just abuse the fact that I have the microphone for a second. Just my, from my experience as uh, 10 years ago, a consular general in New York, and, and in particular one of my mentors, the, the Gabriel Byrne, you know, he, 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 his insight on culture was that culture is the binding force between all strands of Irishness. It is actually the most powerful binding force between you know, people who are west of Ireland or even Limerick, Stephen, who might never leave Ireland on the one side and fourth or fifth generation or Canadian or American or New Yorker who, um, who've, who've never been to Ireland and never will be, but damn it, they're Irish, you know. And, and in fact, of course, the, the lives are totally different, but the connecting point and the, the common denominator are the, the songs, the stories, the heritage. So I think culture, um, that's something I certainly learned in my time, is actually, you know, a huge binding force between us all. And I was interested to hear Noreen talking about not alone is it the binding force between all strands, but it's also the binding force between the generations. Next uh, group of questions, please, who wants to be in? So back right and here and here at the front. Sorry, I'll try to get to everybody. We have about 15 minutes before coffee calls. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, Joe O'Brien from Crosscare in Dublin. Just want to backtrack a little bit about the questions in relation to pre-departure information. Uh, there's two bits to our service in, in, in Crosscare Migrant Project. We provide pre-departure information and support to people leaving and also assist people in returning back as well. So if you'll have to address the, the issues raised around pre-departure. It, it clearly, uh, decades ago, there wasn't a lot of information out there about what to expect in the country that you're going to. The problem is now is that there's too much of it. And also, there's also the issue of actually getting people's attention. There are so many media outlets vying for people's attention, social media, regular media. The problem is now actually getting people's attention before they go. Um, and it's probably worth noting as well, the last five years there was a quarter of a million people left. Um, we have some pre-departure resources for the various countries. Um, we're, we're constantly working on them, and, and certainly after this conference, they'll be improving after that. Our challenge is, is, is to get that out there, and I think if, if you were to picture an ideal situation of getting that message out, it would probably involve a multi-million euro marketing campaign on TV and the like. Uh, maybe Minister Dean is, is open to that. I'm not sure he mentioned more resources, but seriously, though, the difficulty with something about selling it too hard as well is that selling pre-departure information about emigration could seem to be too close to selling emigration. That's a difficulty we face when, when we look at our options about actually how to get the word out. So we, we tend to be more targeted and, and aim at organizations who we feel will, will be dealing with people who are thinking of emigrating, like the colleges, for example. Um, and can I get you all to do one thing? It'll be 20 seconds, very well spent. Anybody who has a mobile device has got internet access here today. Can you open a page and type in www.mindhowyougo.ie? This is pre-departure advice for, for Irish emigrants, and it's based on a survey of 500 Irish emigrants 
uh, who, whose views we elicited last year, and it's on the various stages of emigration, and particularly around emotional challenges of it as well. Uh, and it was with a view um, to addressing the feedback we were getting from a lot of organisations around the world about concerns about mental health. So if you can take that time, www.mindhowyougo.ie, and please circulate it uh, uh, among, among your networks. Thanks. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And, and I think that's, I, I said in my own remarks that, you know, immigration, let's face it, it's a complex story. And I think you've honestly raised a point there about, uh, can you imagine, you know, a full-on government campaign about preparing for immigration? That's, that's a challenge. Just be frank with each other, you know, come on. Uh, so, and at the same time, if that's an issue uh, going out there. So those are the kinds of things we have to, in an honest, mature discussion, have on the table. And, uh, you know, the minister, it, that, that, that's a challenging from a minister's point of view, and yet it has to be addressed. So those are the kinds of things I think that, as I say, in a, in a good, robust discussion we can have on. Yeah, please. If you could just stand up, please, if you would mind, so that we can all see you, Siobhan. My name is Siobhan Gorman from Sandwell Irish Society. Um, I'm very pleased to be here. Um, I just wanted to refer to the vision in the, um, the strategy. The strategy. Um, our vision is a vibrant, diverse, global Irish community connected to Ireland and to each other. Um, but I kind of feel listening to, I know today is about the younger Irish people and the, the, this generation of Irish people travelling abroad and, and working Abroad. Yes, because it's new, new immigrants here, yeah, this yeah. panel, yeah. But I kind of got the feeling that they're almost someone different to the, the uh, you know, my parents' generation who went over. And I wonder if there's any mileage or any opportunity for previous um, immigrants to share their experiences because the island they left was very different. The countries that they've gone to are probably very different as well, you know the internet and technology has changed everything drastically, but some of the issues that they faced and some of the issues that the newer immigrants are facing um, are the same from what we've heard this morning. And I wonder if there's any mileage in trying to kind of um, learn from um, the experience or the, 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 um, the experience of, of, of you know, some previous generations that we might be, I don't know how that would work, no, no, but it's, it's very it might be worth point. exploring. Thank you, Sean. That's a very, very interesting and, and thoughtful point. Thank you. We'll, we'll certainly put it to the panel. And uh, two, I'll take two more here, this gentleman here, and then at the back. Thank you. Yes, you, yes. <laughs> uh, Patrick O'Neill from Limerick, and uh, I'm founder of the Parents Network. Um, we, are, we are researching currently with uh, NUI Maynooth on the whole question of the impact of immigration on parents themselves, uh, correlating that with the effectiveness and the success and happiness of their children abroad is, is actually directly related to how the parents are doing back, back at base. Um, I think the word immigration that we picked up was quite loaded in emotion when it comes to Irish history in particular. And in the past, it was the one-way ticket and how that, and the emotions that you weren't going to see somebody ever again. Now the emotion is, is, is linked that we're picking up to family size. When I emigrated in the 70s, I was one of six. So there's five kids behind. Well, I've got two kids. They live abroad. And um, so the, the, the impact is actually greater. Distance is a huge thing. The emotional uh, impact in greatly increases when we talk about the frequency of opportunity to meet your kids on a face-to-face -face basis. So whether that's the UK or whether it's Australia, that is, uh, that is quite, quite different. My kids, in fact, just want to throw this out, Tim. My kids don't use the word immigration. It is not in their vocabulary. And I think there's a need to probably take a look at the historical hang-up and the emotions we've had in the past when there was one-way tickets. My, kid, my son lives in Berlin. 
He has lived in California. He's lived in the UK. My other son is born in California. He currently is in Ireland, but he's probably going to be headed to the States. I cannot have a conversation with them that has the word immigration in it. So I think there's a, a need to begin to think. My kids are just abroad, and they are talent abroad. They're not emigrant with all the emotional baggage we seem to carry. And the parents that we work with are dealing with that change uh, because historically they've had the, the emotion. So I just want to just throw that yeah, out, that maybe really the language that's, needs to move yeah, on a bit. That, yeah, that's, be that's very thought-provoking. Of course, what would you expect from a Limerick man? Only a thoughtful point. No, you can't. <laughs> sorry. Very quickly. I have a film. It's going to premiere in Limerick. And guess what it's called? This is accidental. It's called Connected Number Two Each Other and has emigration as part of it, and, and it, it features the, the beautiful Maria Walsh, the current Rose of Tralee, which is a diaspora movement in itself. That whole, that's, uh, watch out for that. It's on YouTube at the moment if you want to take a quick look at it. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> Very interesting point. And I, I, I'd say we're, you've heard the Limerick theme here. Sorry, Jimmy, but he, he was educated in Limerick, so it's okay. We have actually got a project going in Limerick called Global Limerick, and we're actually grappling with precisely those questions. You know, we started off calling ourselves Global Limerick Network, and at our, our last meeting we dropped the word Limerick because now we are global limerick, along the same lines you're talking about. So that's a very thoughtful uh, point there. Last uh, question for, at the back, please. Uh, Austin Cumberton and uh, Ottawa in Canada. And one of the questions that was raised, um, some of the hats I wear, I'm, I'm a broadcaster, uh, but I also was the founder of the Ireland Canada Chamber of Commerce in Ottawa, and that has represented some challenges. And I also founded the Rosa Tralee in Ottawa as a global diaspora movement. But on the communications issue, uh, when it comes to connecting with people in this day and age and the geographic disparity, we all have to recognize we've moved towards mobile devices and apps. And if somebody wants to reach the immigrant population or immigrant population in this day and age, it needs to move on to handheld devices where uh, information is available real time, all time, that cuts across geographic boundaries. And, you know, one of the problems we'd all encounter is people only tend to come to us when there is a real problem. Whereas if information is out there in the hand, uh, which can come from Ireland or can come from, uh, be it a central source in any geographic area, uh, there's tremendous opportunity to tap in to provide information, particularly to the younger age group. I would not discount the older age group as, as being in that space as well. Uh, my own mother, who I'm home visiting, is 93, and I talk to her every day on Skype, and she has a tablet which doesn't come in a little bottle. It sits on, <laughs> it sits on a table. And, uh, you know, it has made tremendous differences in connectivity, but the, the use of technology has to be the link to bridge disparate, disparate geographic boundaries. Thanks, Austin. The clock is telling us 5 minutes 21. You know, I'm under starter's orders. See, see I just got my instructions there from, the, from Jimmy's female um, team. Um, so we've about, I, I, and I do want to give you a chance. So is there anybody else dying to get in and make a point here? Oh, bloody hell. Um, All right, can you, can you do, can, I'm sorry that you put up your hand towards the end, but can you do like the one minute job for me now, please? It's actually fun. My name is Karen McHugh and I'm the recently appointed CEO of Safe Home Ireland and that's an organisation that supports returning older Irish immigrants and I suppose I'm really interested, my previous hats were Director of uh, Brent Irish Advisory Service in London, uh, CEO of Doris Limney which is about immigrants coming into Ireland and a founding member of the Irish Traveller Movement in Britain. And I suppose the question I wanted to ask or to a couple of comments really was one I noticed uh, kind of social exclusion and racism 
didn't come up as any issue in terms of new immigrants, and that's really pleasing to hear that. It's an issue that I suppose I've worked with in the last six years in my role as Doris uh, Limney. Um, but the other point I suppose I wanted to, to ask was really about the definition of, of Irish as such, and whether, you know, uh, I was interested in the Boston experience looking at integration and inclusion, and really in terms of, I suppose, the black Irish, Irish travellers, second-generation Irish, and the broader Irish diaspora, I suppose, how you, in, you know, from throughout the world, have connected with those communities uh, as well. I, I have a lot Thanks. of others, but I'm not going to ask any more. Absolutely. I mean, we just, we, this is just kind of the conversation out loud. These conversations will continue over, as the Minister, over the few days. And the, sorry, did, is that Louise? Yes. Hi. Um, I give the last word to, the, to Louise. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Uh, Louise Corrigan, I'm Chairperson of Irish Network Dublin, which was just recently, recently launched by the Minister. Um, I returned from New York just over a year ago, and I think just to kind of echo something Sinead mentioned um, about having the Irish chapter of IABN here, I think there's a huge value, even though it's an international network, Irish network in Ireland, um, there's such a value to having um, the network that people can tap into before, before they get there and there's so much we're so lucky in lots of ways to have so many people who've come home and have such a wealth of knowledge and experience that we can share and I suppose that's one of the things that I in Dublin will be doing um, and we've already seen so much interest from um, so many people to try and get learn from those of us who've returned home. We have a huge, a great team um, of people who, like me, have returned from the US over the last while, and we're there now to share those experiences, and yeah. that's how people can be kind of more prepared before they get there. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of ways in which all of this is happening, and the, the, the experience and the knowledge is there, and it's just to be tapped into. Thanks, Louise. Thank Thanks, Louise. I'm sorry, Silly, my North Kerry neighbour is after insisting on final rights, and it's typical of the Kerry people, they always want the last word. Okay, Celine. Now, the, the deal is Limerick Kerry, 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Um, just going back to the theme of the panel and the challenges facing new Irish immigrants, um, I don't think age particularly comes into it or necessarily comes into it. We have seen a lot of people, a lot of families uh, have had to immigrate. It's not necessarily the uh, 18 to 30 bracket. There are many in the 30 to 40 bracket. But I think the one thing we have seen in, in everything that has been said from the panels is the issues are common. And I think it's coming together. I think it's collaboration. I think it's sharing of best practices. And I think it's finding a way to move forward. There is a ton of information out there. It's how do we get it to people? How do we share it to people? How do we find ways to do that? It's business networks. It's the GAA, it's the church, it's units, it's, it's entities like ours across the world. Everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet as such, but Thanks. everybody working together. Thanks, Celine. Thank you very much. So, look, we're, I, I'm just going to call on the minister now just to wrap in a minute. It just, does anybody from the panel have any? Because I think what we're doing here is giving you a chance to air, and I think these conversations continue your questions. I think there's been very interesting contributions in, the, in, those, in those series of questions, but we won't necessarily get to them all now, but we'll do them over the coffee. Does anybody want to add a final word from the panel? Are you all okay? Bursting to say something, Cathy? Yeah, I am. I think we're, uh, all the centres around the world are probably doing a really great job of connecting with the new Irish. I don't think we have an opportunity to connect with each other enough, and that might be a next step. All right, great. So before I call on the Minister, it just seems to me like then just finally, just I th kind of, I think that has been a very, valuable, uh, a very valuable session, and we've raised questions, not necessarily all the answers, but... Um, and in no particular order, I think what's been emerging are preparations, you know, pre-departure, um, 
that seems to be a kind of a theme that's there. So we need to think about that, although our colleague from Crosscare rightly reminding us that, you know, that's complex as well for, for, for all the obvious reasons. Um, I think in terms of, you know, great work being done at the, at the, at the front by, by all of you here, and, and, and just to repeat our thanks to those of us who live at home, you know, thank you for what you do uh, right at the coalface every day. Sorry, I promised I wouldn't use coalface. Sorry, um, at, the, at, the, at the front line of supporting uh, our people around the world. Um, isolation seems to be a big issue, and I know... Um, Mike Carroll is, is going to be uh, chairing, I think, a session on, on that later on, um, on, on well-being. I think that's really important. The role of culture. Um, obviously, the voting uh, piece, David, you made your case. You nailed it, and I think that's, it's on the agenda. Um, I think Siobhan's point there about relations between generations should we be doing more um, on that. I think that's, that's a really important point. And then the culture in, in terms of multiculturalism and supporting each other. But I think we have a lot of food for thought. I think hopefully the objective uh, of the Minister bringing us together has been achieved in raising the questions. Our sincere thanks to Minister to Sinead, our panel, Sinead Crowley, Joe Thompson, uh, Cathy and uh, Stephen, and in the Abu Dhabi jury, Ambassador Pat and Jean McGuire. Our thanks to them all. Thank you.